see y'all this morning. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Just like that. All right. Uh, so we're in a series, Christmas Through Her Eyes, right? Where we get to tell the story of four amazing women of faith in the Bible. Started that last week. And uh, so naturally, because we're talking about women who are heroes of the faith of the Bible, I'd like to start with a football story to get us going, if that's okay. Um, yesterday, I got to introduce my son, Garrett, Samuel Garrett, to one of the greatest football movies of all time, one of my favorites, Remember the Titans. Anybody else like that movie? That's a great movie. So anyways, Remember the Titans, this team starts to learn to play together, and they're doing great, and they're playing for the state championship at the end of the game, right? And they get to the state championship, and they play the first half, and they're just playing a terrible thing. They look like they don't even belong on the same field as the other team. They're getting whooped. And they can't do anything right. They're not playing as a team. But so they head into halftime. I love a good halftime speech, right? You always wonder what goes on in the other games you're watching and the halftime speech when they're getting whooped. You know it's, it's not pretty. But anyways, so they're going in to the locker room. Their heads are hanging. They're moping. They're, they look like they're already defeated. You know, they look like it's too late. I mean, we, we can't even turn anything around now. We played so poorly in the first half. And so the captain went to the team and recognized they need something to give them hope for the second half. They need something to inspire them to recognize that just because they were awful in the past, that doesn't mean that they can't have a great second half. So the captain, that's right, and the captain steps up and, uh, and he gives an inspiring, awesome halftime speech. And you see the heads coming up. And they recognize, you know what, we are so much better than how we played the first half. And we can be even greater. And you can see them inspired. You can see the team grasping on to that hope. And, and they go out in the, in the second half of the game. And I hope I'm not winning the end game for anyone, but I'm, I'm thinking it's pretty obvious. I mean, they are going to win the game. And they do win the game. And they march off the field as champions. And they're able to do that because... They believed in that hope that, that, that was held out for them at halftime. And they were able to march off the field, not just avoiding being defeated, but they were able to march off as champions, victorious. And, um, it, yeah, I love that movie. Awesome movie. But anyways, we're not going to talk about football all day. You um, see, today we're going to meet a woman who also had a really bad first half. I mean, a despicable first half, if you will. And I mean, she, uh, she, she had it pretty bad, pretty ugly, a lot of it her own doing, and she needed some hope. But she was able to find that hope, and because of that hope, her past did not determine her future. So this morning we're going to meet that woman. Her name is Rahab. If you will, um, you can find Rahab's story in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. It's on page... 241 of your Pew Bibles, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, the NET version. And that's where her story begins. We're actually, we're going to bounce around a lot. Her, um, we're going to cover a lot of ground to tell Rahab's story. So I'm going to have some of the passages on the screen, but let me encourage you to find it in your Bibles if you have them, or use one of our Pew Bibles, or maybe on your device or whatever. Um, but we're going to look at Rahab's story this morning. Christmas Through Her Eyes, right? That's the series. And Justin introduced us to that series last week. And we got 
Tamar story, uh, she was up against some pretty heavy barriers, and she needed a breakthrough. And God used her barriers for a breakthrough. We're going to see that as a common theme for all these women that we meet. We also learned last week that all these women are in the genealogy of Christ. And, and, God, and they're all Gentile women, meaning non-Jews. So outsiders to the family of God. But God brought them in, and despite their barriers, he used them for something beautiful and amazing. And we're going to see the same thing here in Rahab's story. So let's uh, try to figure out, before we jump into the text, start talking about Rahab and what was going on. This is the context. This is, this is what was going on with Israel when Rahab came on to the scene. Let's see, we're going to hear, we're going to have Joshua here as we begin this story. Joshua, uh, he inherited leadership of the people of Israel from Moses. You know, God used Moses to deliver them out of captivity, in slavery, in Egypt, and, uh, which, you know, which would be way west on the map over here. And he brought, God delivered them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, one of the greatest miracles this side of the cross, and, uh, the destination of going to the promised land. And so, let's see if I can point out. So, yeah, so they were, they were coming this way, and they had an opportunity to enter the promised land, known as Canaan at the time, we now call it Israel, through the south, but they had a lack of faith. A big time lack of faith. And sin crept in, and so God punished them. So they weren't able to go into the promised land immediately. Instead, they needed to go the long way, all the way around to the east to get the promised land. So 40 years later, after leaving Egypt, Joshua is now the leader of the Israelites. And they're so close, they're about to step into the promised land. Well, to get to the promised land, they needed to cross through the land of the Amorites up here. And there's a couple of kings who had their peoples in that area. The Israelites say, hey, kings, we're just going to pass through your land to get over here. They say, nope, we're going to fight. Okay, and so God delivered the Israelites through each of those two Amorite kings, destroying and defeating them. In the meantime, word is getting out in the entire region. The Israelites are on the move, and their God is doing some some amazing things. So God was getting the attention of the people in the land. And here they are, all the way up, about to cross into the Promised Land, but there's a river, the Jordan River. They're going to have to cross the Jordan River. So they're camped out here. And Joshua, we're about to read, he's going to send two spies. He's going to choose two spies to cross the Jordan River and go into the land and scout it out to see what's ahead of them. And so he's going to say, go into the land, scout it out, especially Jericho. Because Jericho is right here underneath that little star right there. Yeah, there we go. Uh, that's where Jericho was. That was in the lowlands, right before you see all those mountains right there. Jerusalem's up in the mountains. Uh, if you're going to break into the promised land, that path is going to have to go through Jericho. And Jericho was a stronghold. Big, huge, walled, mighty city. I mean, a well-defensed army. That was Jericho. And so Joshua is sending the spies. Let's, let's enter into the story. But before we do that, um, if you would, let's pray. Lord, we ask you to enter this time and move mightily and speak. We thank you that you speak through your word. Lord, I just pray as we enter into your word, would I just be a vessel that you, you are the one that speaks in the hearts and minds and ears and every, every person that would be open to how you would speak to them. And we hear from you. Alright, so Joshua chapter 2. 
Joshua, son of Nun, sent two spies out from Shittim secretly and instructed them, Find out what you can about the land, especially Jericho. They stopped at the house of a prostitute named Rahab and spent the night. The king of Jericho received this report. No well. Israelite men have come here tonight to spy on the land. So the king of Jericho sent this order to Rahab. Turn over the men who came to you, the ones who came to your house, for they have come to spy on the whole land. But the woman hid the two men and replied, Yes, these men were clients of mine, but I didn't know where they came from. When it was time to shut the city gate for the night, the men left. I don't know where they were heading. Chase, chase after them quickly, for you have time to catch them. Now, she had taken them up to the roof and had hidden them in the stocks of flax that she had spread out on the roof. Meanwhile, the king's men tried to find them on the road to the Jordan River near the forest. The city gate was shut as soon as they set out and pursued them. So we begin by meeting two characters. Um, we recognize two different characters. One well-respected within Jericho, one not so well-respected in Jericho. And, and they're both recognizing that God is on the move and he is coming right in their direction. And we're going to see two different responses in these two characters. First one I want to look at is the king, right? King of Jericho. We don't know much about the king. We don't know much about the people in Jericho. But we know that they're Canaanites. Okay, that was, that was the land of Canaan. Canaanites, they were known for having many false gods. I mean, they would go to this god for one thing, and this god for one thing, and this god for another. So really kind of choose your problem, and then you kind of go to that god. They had a lot of gods. Idolatry was rampant. Uh, it was really built, built around appeasing the self. So that was, that was the context. And so the king of Jericho, he hears that God's coming, or that God is sending his people. They're coming into his land. And he knows, okay, delivered out of Egypt, that mighty army. All the plagues and, and God's showing himself there. He knows through the Red Sea. God dried up the sea and spread the sea for his people to walk right through. And he knows that God has been with him in the wilderness and led his people to defeat the two Amorite kings just recently, you think the logical thing would be to surrender, right? I mean, that would make a lot of sense. I mean, it's, you, the future doesn't look too promising here, uh, especially with the Egyptians going down. I mean, they were the powerhouse. But no, that's not what the king chose to do. He did not go the logical uh, reasoning here. What did he do? He just he dug down deeper into his own defenses. He chose to believe that the walls that he built up were good enough to keep him from doing whatever whatever he wanted to do in his own little kingdom. He was going to choose to believe that he could thwart Almighty God's sovereign plan by chasing down these spies. That would be the trick. And in the meantime, he can just keep on doing business as he always has and, um, and living in his own ways. He chose to rely on his own strength instead of surrendering to God and coming, and, and coming before God. You know, sadly, I've come across too many people in this life that have the same approach. When, when God is clearly at work right in front of them, rather than choosing to surrender themselves to God and live for God, they choose to just build more walls. To just build up more defenses so I can do things my way. So I can have power. So I can have control. That's what I see in this king who we don't hear too much about because it's, well, it's not going to work out too well for this king. But we also meet Rahab in this story. We learn a little bit about Rahab up front. 
Bible does not sugarcoat what she did and what she was not doing. Says Rahab the prostitute, a harlot, lady the night hooker. The Bible basically is describing her in all those those, those ugly ways. Um, this was a woman who we don't know how she got in this position. Maybe her you know family gave her into this profession to make money long ago. Maybe the king forcibly took her to be used at his will. We don't know. Or maybe she just decided this was the easy way to get through life and, and make money. Could have been any of those. But here she was, giving away her body for the pleasure of God. Just being an object to be used so she can make some cold, hard cash. That's what she did. I mean, you can imagine the thoughts that she must have had after years of being in this profession. I'm just a tool. I'm you know, shame. Uh, just feeling completely worthless in the eyes of others. Uh, it's too late to do anything else. Because of all I've done, I have no hope of doing anything worthwhile, so I might as well just stay stuck in my own sin and despicable activity because I can't break out of this. I mean, this is it. This is all there is. I have no future there's no man who could truly love me, so I might as well just keep on giving myself out for false love. Certainly God Almighty could not love me after the terrible things that I've done. He certainly could not use me. We can only imagine the thoughts of Rahab who's described as the prostitute here in the text. We learned that her house, later we're going to learn, I think verse 14 or 15, it tells us that her house was actually right in the wall at the gate. And this made a lot of sense, right? Uh, the prostitute's house right there at the gate because you got weary travelers and soldiers coming in and, hmm, first thing they may look for would be red light district. And she, there she was, conveniently ready and available uh, for those travelers. It also made a lot of sense that the king would go to her and ask her about spies because you can imagine, now this may have actually been, her house may have been in her tavern. Um, you can imagine that a lot of loose-lipped soldiers who've been enjoying a little drink would be there who might divulge a little bit too much. So this was, a, this was a good place for spies to go and to find out what was going on here in Jericho and with the army. So that's why these spies may have been around uh, Rahab. And uh, indeed, they did go to Rahab. And so what do we see here? The king... King Jericho has come to Rahab says, I know that these two men were here. You need to give them up. And you can imagine, you know, she's, the guards are, or, or the messenger is right there in her house, and she's saying, hey, they're not here. And she can probably hear the rustling footsteps on the roof right above her. I mean, she's that close to being discovered. They are right there. Everyone knows if the king tells you to do something, you do it, right? If you don't, if you lie to the king, you probably don't have a long life expectancy. Uh, you shouldn't expect things to work in your favor if you make a habit of lying to the king. But she stands there boldly and says, well, they went that way. I don't know. Yeah, they were here, uh, but I sent them off in that direction. In the meantime, they are right there. And she's protecting them. Why did she do this? Well, she also knew the stories of God. And also knew the stories of God's people find the move. And she recognized they were coming in this direction. And she was making the opposite choice of the king and the rest of Jericho who were just 
hunkering down in their defenses. She recognized that uh, while there were mighty walls around her, they, you know, everything was going to be collapsing. And when the world is collapsing around you, you need to be on the right team. And she hadn't been offered anything yet. And she, who knows if she thought she had any hope at all that um, here she is making a gesture um, to say, hey, I want, I want my allegiance to be on the right side when everything comes crashing down. Going completely against the culture, against the rules of self-preservation, against the crowd. And she protects these spots. So let's continue the story beginning in verse 8. Beginning in verse 8, it says, Now before the spies went to sleep, Rahab went up to the roof, and she said to the men, I know the Lord is handing this land over to you. We are absolutely terrified of you and all who live in the land are cringing before you. For we heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you left Egypt, and how you annihilated the two Amorite kings, Sihon and Og, on the other side of the Jordan. And when we heard the news, we lost our courage, and no one could even breathe the fear of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. You know, it's very easy to read this narrative and come away uncertain about her faith. You know, what, what was her faith really? But there's things that we can interpret from what she said and what she does. I mean, we see her making bold actions of faith here in this story. The book of, New Testament book of James, it, it, it goes on to say, Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Meaning that if you have true faith, I mean, it, your actions will reflect a relationship with God in some way. And in that same passage, Rahab, the Old Testament prostitute, is used as, as a prime example of faith in action. And so we see that in her actions. But we can, also, we can also learn a lot about her faith and what she says right here. First of all, we see she recognizes the person of God. We say down there below, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. And one thing that you don't want to miss, you, you want to look in the, the Old Testament, every time you see that word Lord, you want to see is it capitalized or not capitalized. Because the word Lord can mean a lot of things, right? You know, uh, we got lords and ladies, uh, Lord of the Dance, Lord of Vader, I mean, whatever kind of stuff. But um, that word Lord can mean a lot of things. And in the Old Testament, whenever you see it all capitalized, it's talking about a very specific use of Lord. It's talking about the Lord, not to be confused with any other type of Lord in the Old Testament or the sort of things I just said. That means the word Yahweh was used. That was the personal name of God. So we're not, Lord is capitalized. We're not talking about a general sense of God to be confused with any of the Canaanite gods. We're talking about an acknowledgement of Yahweh, the one true God who's the God of the Israelite people. And she's acknowledging God here, the Lord, Yahweh. What an emphatic statement. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. I mean, she's acknowledging God's sovereignty over everything, his dominion over all things. And in a sense, we can tell that she's saying, you know what? All these false gods that I grew up following and believing in through my Canaanite people, they're not true, they're not real, and they're powerless before 
So she recognized the person of God. She also recognized the power of God. I mean, she is recounting some significant acts of God at work in the land. Drying up the sea and so the people can cross through from slavery. That is an incredible miracle. And she recognized it. She heard about the Amorite kings. God is at work. God is on the move. And she had a proper view of the power of God. And that power of God was driving her to the correct posture of God. You, know, you can tell that you know, we're, we're told to fear the Lord in the Bible a lot. What does that mean? Well, okay, so clearly the king feared the Lord because he's working on his own defenses and he's working on you know, trying to trick God and defeat God. Um, but that's not a proper fear of God because clearly he thinks that he can defeat God. That, he doesn't truly recognize who God is. When, when you have a, a proper view of God, and you respect God, and you uh, take God seriously, like Rahab is here, that's fearing God in the right way. She says, you know, what does she say? She says, you know, we've heard what's been done. We are uh, cringing before you, the text says. Cringing before you. And it says, you know, we, we heard the news, we lost our courage, and no one can even breathe for fear of you. This is, you know, I mean, just an illustration that, that falls short, but, you know, it's the fear that a child would have of a this parent, you take that parent seriously. <laughs> that parent can control all the good or bad things that could be in front of you. This parent has power, um, but this parent also knows and has the best in store. And I see that in Rahab's statement here. She had a proper view of God, and, and a proper view of God, the person in power posture, a proper view of God is the first step in having real faith. You can't really have authentic faith if you don't first have a proper view of God. It's so important to know who God really is, which is why we such a great value on knowing God's word is to know him deeper. That's what she had. And I love how it goes on. So after expressing her, her view of God here, we're going to look at verses 12 and 13. I've got 12 on the screen here. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. So then she goes on, she says, So now promise me this with an oath, sworn in the Lord's name, because I have shown allegiance to you, shown show allegiance to my family. Give me a solemn pledge that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them, and rescue us from death. So you know, she's, she's pleading here with these two spies. And this is after she has taken big steps to rescue them. But now she's pleading for her life and the life of her family. And why did I put two different versions on here? Well, the net is trying to explain what she's asking for. But in, in, in trying to explain what she's asking for, you almost miss a, an important word here. One of really important terms in the Bible. One of my favorite terms to, to really dig deep in. So, you know, it says, I've shown allegiance to you. To you. That's what the text says. Well, look at the ESV. What does it say? It says, instead of, I, instead of I've shown allegiance, it says, I have dealt kindly. Well, that sounds kind of soft when you say it like that. I dealt kindly with you. I mean, I dealt kindly with, you know, the cat that came on my doorstep the other day. You deal kindly with But when the Bible is using that word kindness, you need to look close because a lot of times you'll see it as loving kindness, covenantal love. This is a specific Hebrew world called chesed. And you're supposed to, like, roll the... I mean, you're supposed to, if you're doing it right, you shouldn't be spitting on the person in front of you, but... 
hesed, so I'll cheat a little bit. Um, that word hesed is a really important term in the Old Testament. Because this was, it described God's covenant, covenantal love for us. It was a covenantal term. It's used over 200 times in the Old Testament. Um, it's most often used to define God's covenantal covering love, right? His covering love. So he has a covenant with Israel, and his love covered Israel despite their unfaithfulness. We hear about Hesed over and over and over again because God's love remains because of his covenant no matter what Israel did. Um, so when a person has God's Hesed, that person, they have the backing of a covenant. So what she's saying is, you know, I want, I have dealt kindly with you as part of a covenant, right? And you, you also deal with Hesed with me and my father's house. I don't want you to just say you're going to take care of me um, because we're pals right now. I don't want you to just say you're going to take care of me because you appreciate that I help you. I want you to say you're going to take care of me backed with an oath, an allegiance that says, you know, this, you can count on this. This covering means it's 100% not going away. This the character of God says his love, you can count on it. the rise, the falls, the storms, the tides, whatever. God's love remains. It's hesed. It's something that covers us no matter what happens in the future and no matter what we did in the past. And so she's asking for hesed right now. Hesed for her and her family. Let's continue. Reading verses 14 through 16. So the men said to her, if you die, may we die with you. If you do not report what we've been up to, and when the Lord's hands the land over to us, we will show unswerving allegiance to you. They're saying, yes, we will show us to you. Then Rahab let them down by a rope through the window. Her house was built as part of the city wall. She lived in the wall. And she told them, head to the hill country so the ones chasing you don't find you. Hide from them there for three days long enough for those chasing you to return. Then you can be on your way. So they say, yes, we will show you this hesed. We will give you this hesed. You are covered. You can count on it. No matter what, you will be protected. They say that. And then she she takes them to a window, right, in the wall, pretty high up in Jericho. And she throws this rope over the wall. This rope that's the only way they're getting out of Jericho. They can't go back through the wall. That rope is the only hope that they had of getting out. Now, who knows how many times that rope had been used before. You can imagine many men who had been here late into the night, well after the gates had been closed, as she used that same rope to let them down. The rope used for ugly, despicable sin. But that was then. That was in the past. Right now, that rope is the rope of hope for these, these two men who are on a mission for God. That rope had been redeemed, if you will, and we're seeing the same thing going on here in Rahab's life. So they go down the rope, but before leaving, they give her a few conditions. We're going to look at that now. Verses 17 through 20. The men said to her, We are not bound by this oath you made us swear unless 
the following conditions are met. When we invade the land, tie this red rope in the window through which you let us in, and gather together in your house your father, mother, brothers, and all who live in your father's house. Anyone who leaves your house will be responsible for his own death. We are innocent in this case. But if anyone leaves you in this house is harmed, you will be responsible. If you should report what you've been up to, we are not bound by the faith you made us swear. She said, I agree to these conditions. And she sent them on their way and then tied the red rope in the window. So they, you know, they make it clear, yes. We appreciate your act of faith here. We will cover you with Hesed. You will be protected. But not without conditions being met. One very important condition needs to be met if you want to be protected. Because everybody else in Jericho, they've been sentenced for destruction. Their penalty is going to be death. Except for Rahab and her family. Because she's going to take this red rope and she's going to take it and put it outside of her window. You know, red had been her color before. Red district. Red at the harlot, right? Apparently they did tie red ropes to let you know that the, the prostitute was in. But now she had a red rope out of her window. She was covered by this red rope. This meant that she and her family, when the army that was bringing death was coming in, this meant that she was going to have life. This meant that she was safe and that God's people were going to take care of her. That God was going to take care of her. The red rope of hope. Uh, the red rope of hope that was going to cover her and her entire family. You know, this is a reminder of an event in the past. The Exodus, uh, in Exodus chapter 12, right, we talked about how the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. And God sent Moses to say, hey, let my people go. And uh, Pharaoh's not letting the people go. And so God sent plague after plague after plague. And God knows that Pharaoh is not going to let him go. But it's all building up to this final plague that's really going to rock Egypt's world where the angel of death is going to come in. And in, the house, in every household, the firstborn son will be killed. Unless their house is marked, and the Israelites were instructed to mark their house with red blood on the, on the, the doors. And so, when the angel of death came, the firstborn sons were spared and were allowed to live if they were marked with red. That red blood of the lamb covered them in that place, and they were saved. This is also foreshadowing of the future, right? of another uh, beautiful story where blood, an ugly story, but a beautiful story of blood being shed to protect us. That's our, our reality. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, all people born into this world because of sin in our lives, we are sentenced to death. But if we are marked by the blood of Christ, if we have chosen to change our allegiance from living for ourselves and living by the patterns of this world, but choosing instead to live for God and to be in His family. If we choose to be covered by the blood of Christ, then we're, we're, we're marked for life. And that, that's Hesed. That's a covenantal love. That doesn't go away. That's a, that's a covering that you can count on no matter what. No matter what may be in your past, 
It doesn't matter. This says you are covered with the blood of Christ. We are future to be beautiful and amazing. Um, and what you did in the past, um, it, it has no power over that blood of Christ that has been shed for you. We have a red rope of hope as well. And we need to cling to that. We need to recognize the power of our red rope of hope. So anyways, Rahab, sworn to secrecy. The spies now leave. Go ahead and finish the, uh, the story in chapter 2. They went to the hill country and stayed there for three days, long enough for those chasing them to return. Their pursuers looked all along the way but did not find them. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills, crossed the river, came to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported to him all that they had discovered. They told Joshua, Surely the Lord is handing over all the land to us. All who live in the land are cringing before us. Clearly Rahab's act of faith was an encouragement and a testimony to them because they're using almost word for word what she had used just a few verses later. Surely the Lord is handing over all the land to us. Acts of faith are such an encouragement for us all. So how did the story continue? Well, I'm going to jump ahead to chapter 6, and then just turn one page in my Bible, um, so you don't have far to go. I'm not going to put this on the screen, uh, just because we're going to cover this one fast. But So the spies have gone back to Joshua, and the army prepares to cross into the land. They're finally going to take the land that God had promised. And so there's a, an amazing story of them crossing the Jordan River, and they, God once again dries up the land so they can march on through, and they're in the land and on the way to Jericho. And God is going to make it very clear at Jericho, this mighty fortress of a city, this mighty walled city, that it was not because some army that it, it was defeated. It was because of my, Almighty God himself. It says in verse 15, On the seventh day they were up at the crack of dawn and marched around the city as before. Just marching around the city. Only this time they marched around it seven times. The seventh time around, I'm sorry, I'm verse 16 now. The seventh time around, the priests blew the ram's horns, and Joshua told the army, Give the battle cry, for the Lord is handing the city over to you. The city and all that is in it must be set apart for the Lord, except for Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house, because she had despised the sins. But be careful when you are setting apart the riches for the Lord. If you take any of it, you will make the Israelite camp subject to annihilation and cause a disaster. All the silver and gold as well as bronze and iron items belong to the Lord. They must go into the Lord's treasure. God wasn't kidding around. He was going to complete destruction of Jericho. Well, the ram's horns sounded, and when the army heard the signal, they gave a loud battle call. The wall collapsed, and the warriors charged straight ahead into the city and captured it. They annihilated with a sword everything that breathed in the city, including men and women, young and old, as well as cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Complete destruction, except for one thing. Joshua told the two men who had spied on the land, enter the prostitute's house and bring out the woman and all who belonged to her as he promised her. So the young spies went and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, long who belonged to her. They brought out the whole family and took them to a place outside the Israelites. But they burned the city and all that was in it, except for the silver, gold, and bronze, and iron items that came to the treasury of the Lord's house. Yet Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's family, and all who belonged to her. She lives in Israel to this very day. 
because she heard the messenger, messenger Joshua sent to spy on Jericho. And this is pretty amazing and beautiful, except for one thing. Rahab is still labeled as a prostitute. And again, we're going to get a break. Um, the text says Rahab the prostitute, not because she was going to continue to be labeled as a prostitute in her new future reality in Israel. The text makes it clear that she's a prostitute for us. To know that she has this, this beautiful new change in her life, that even though she has a terrible, ugly, despicable past, she, she grasped on to the hope that God put before her. She, and even though she was a prostitute, her future, I mean, it's white clean, all new possibilities, her past has no bearing on her future. That's why we see that here in the text. All because she grabbed hold of the red rope of hope that God offers. So what happens next for Rahab? We don't know much. But we do have a family tree. A family tree of Jesus Christ. You know, some people, talking to some people a couple weeks ago, I'm like, Chris, and we're like, Christmas message? Seriously? Oh, yes. See, this story of God's grace and the hope that Rahab had, it's such an important part of our Christmas story, of Jesus coming down to be with us. God used people like Rahab and Tamar, outsiders, he made them insiders, people, huge barriers, people with, in Rahab's case, despicable, ugly, terrible past. God used them to wipe them clean and bring them into his family. This is the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And we see a lot of familiar names there, heroes of the faith that we know of. There's Tamar in verse 3. We see that on the screen. Um, and there's Rahab. It says, Ram, the father of Abinadab, Abinadab, Nashon, Nashon, the father of Solomon, Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Okay, so Boaz, that's a familiar name from the story of verse. Don't miss next week. There's another incredible story show up there about Ruth. Solomon. Don't gloss over it. She was married. The, the, man, the woman who had so many different men over and over and over again. She comes into the family of God. She isn't just... I mean, it would have been enough just to survive, right? She avoided the disaster of Jericho. But that's not, that's not all God gives when He brings you into safety. You don't just escape destruction. I mean, you are restored into the family of God. And this woman of faith, she married this guy, Solomon. We don't know much about him, but later in the Old Testament, he's described as the father of Bethlehem. So clearly, this isn't just some random dude in Israel. This is some guy who did significant things, probably a man of good character. I don't know. I'm taking some other things here. Um, but that was Rahab's future. What a beautiful future. And she had a family. Can you imagine in Jericho? I can never have a family. I'm just a tool to be used over and over and over again. After all I've done, because of the red rope of hope, everything in the past is not going to affect her future. And now here sits Rahab in the lineage of Jesus and in Hebrews chapter 11, one of the most incredible chapters in the Bible about it just lists heroes of the faith. Abraham, Noah, there are many in there. There sits Rahab. And it says, by 
faith, Rahab the prostitute escaped the destruction of the disobedient because she welcomed the spies in peace. What an incredible testimony of her life. Yes, we see the, the label once again, Rahab the prostitute. But that's a reminder for us. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been, how long you've been in it. Rahab was a prostitute. And if God's going to take Rahab and offer her the hope and restore her and use her, God can use you too, no matter where you've been. No matter what you've done, no matter how long you've been doing it. Yes, Rahab had a past. We all have a past. Our past is different. But God likes all of our pasts. And if you've been struggling again, the power of this blood. God can wipe it clean once again. God can use you in His service. I've talked to people that God cannot use you, and you don't know what I've done. Yes, they have the prostitutes. God specializes in taking people who seemed like they had no hope and had past so despicable that, by all common sense, logical reasons, could not be used for His kingdom and glory. He specializes in taking those people, transforming them and just setting them uh, as royalty. That's God does. So decide today, don't let your past get in the way of your future. God wants to restore you too and use you too. Just remember, we were all prostitutes like they had one day. We need to have the eyes of grace and mercy that our God has. As we welcome new people in the you know, the family of God. Uh, what a blessing on you. Please pray with me. Almighty God, we thank you for the, the blood that was shed for us, that we have this red rope of hope. But just as you restored 